Wi-Fi is a pretty central technology to our daily lives, whether at home or at the office. Given that so much sensitive data is regularly exchanged between Wi-Fi devices, a number of standards have been developed to ensure the privacy and authentication of Wi-Fi communications. However, a recent paper shows that every single Wi-Fi network protection standard since 1997, from WEP all the way to WPA3, is exposed to a critical vulnerability that allows the exfiltration of sensitive data. How far does this new attack go? How does it work? And why wasn't it discovered before? We'll discuss all of this and more in this episode of Cryptography FM. This episode of Cryptography FM is sponsored by me. That's right, my own startup, Capsule Social. At Capsule Social, we are building a platform for decentralized discourse, a place where content creators, writers, and thinkers will have full ownership and control over their speech and enjoy resilience from censorship and takedowns. We are lucky to have the support of great investors and technologists such as Balaji Srinivasan, Naval Ravikant, Firefly Capital Ventures, Polychain Capital, and more. And we're hiring, we are looking to hire a back-end engineer whose days will be filled with all sorts of fascinating challenges from building robust IPFS-based publishing solutions to simplifying the complexities of blockchain, cryptography, and digital identity into usable and effective tools. It's going to be difficult and intellectually challenging work, which is what makes it fun. If that sounds like you, head to our website at capsule.social or apply directly by heading to capsule.join.com. We're looking very much forward to hearing from you and working with you. Matthew Van Hoef is a postdoctoral researcher at New York University Abu Dhabi and soon to be professor at KU Leuven in Belgium. He received a bachelor and master degree from Uha Silt University, I hope I said that correctly, and got his PhD degree from KU Leuven. Matthew's research interest lies in computer security with a focus on network and wireless security, for example, Wi-Fi, software security, and applied cryptography. In these areas, Matthew tries to bridge the gap between real-world code and protocol standards. Most notably, he discovered the crack attack with a K against WPA2 and helped design two Wi-Fi defenses that are now part of the IEEE 802.11 standard. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Okay, so today we are reviewing one of your more recent papers published at Usenix 2021, Fragment and Forge, Breaking Wi-Fi Through Frame Aggregation and Fragmentation. Uh, this is pretty stunning because the central claim that you make in your paper is that you've discovered a critical vulnerability that affects all protected Wi-Fi networks, ranging from WEP all the way to WPA3, the, the most recent standard, which just rolled out. I mean, I, I got a WPA3 router for my home only recently. Um, and you say that this means that the discovered flaws have been part of Wi-Fi since its release in 1997. So the first question that I that, that's in my mind when I read something like this is, you know, maybe I should be getting more information with regards to the exploitability and the actual like real world impact of this flaw. But first, maybe we should talk about just a high level overview of how it works. And then from there, we can go and 
discuss severity. Yeah, so to give a high-level summary, in the paper we discovered some uh, design flaws in the Wi-Fi standard, which as, as far as I can see based on the tests that I did is indeed present in uh, a lot of devices. Well, in all the devices we tested had a vulnerability. And the second part is that we also discovered various uh, programming mistakes in Wi-Fi products, so implementation flaws. And these design flaws, they indeed seem to have been in the Wi-Fi standard a long time. And there's in fact three design flaws. And one of them, I would say, is the most uh, concerning. It can have the highest impact and is the easiest to abuse in practice. And this is what I call the aggregation design flaw. And to very briefly summarize it, there's a flag in the Wi-Fi header that indicates whether the encrypted payload contains just a single network packet or whether the encrypted payload contains multiple network packets. On this flag is not authenticated, meaning as an adversary, you can just flip the value of this flag. The receiver won't notice that you change the flag and it will suddenly parse the encrypted payload, which actually contains a single packet. It will parse that as if it contains multiple network packets. And to keep the description simple, this can under the right circumstances be abused by an attacker to inject any network packet uh, into the Wi-Fi network of the victim. And then you can, of course, do all kinds of fun stuff at the network level. Um, and in our case, we showed that, okay, you can abuse this to make the victim use a malicious DNS server, and then you can intercept traffic uh, on Swan. So there's also two other design flaws. Um, I would say I'm not too worried about them uh, in practice because you can only exploit them in fairly uncommon network settings. Uh, so if you use a router with the default network settings, it doesn't look like those other two design flaws are, can be exploited. And those other two design flaws, they're related in the fragmentation functionality. Uh, and the fragmentation functionality, it basically corresponds to how a large Wi-Fi frame is split up into multiple smaller fragments. And yeah, that covers the three design flaws. Um, there are design flaws in the Wi-Fi standard. So it looks like all Wi-Fi products are affected. Now, it can be by coincidence that some Wi-Fi product isn't affected by all the design flaws. But overall, in the tests that I did, every device was affected by at least one vulnerability. So from that point of view, there, there is a high practical impact. And what is the actual result of that vulnerability being exploited? Do you get uh, plain text? Are you able to conduct uh, authentication? Like, a, you know, can you impersonate a party? Give me a real, like, if I'm if I'm running this attack in a in a Starbucks, for example, what is the impact uh, on the Wi-Fi users in that Starbucks? So, on a technical level, you can inject packets into the network. So you can, yeah, in a sense, bypass authentication. You shouldn't be able to do anything in the protected Wi-Fi network that you're attacking, but you can now inject arbitrary network packets. And to make it very concrete, the example that I showed is that, yeah, you can make a victim use a malicious DNS server, and then you can start 
intercepting traffic that they are sending. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty interesting thing that you said earlier, too. I wanted to circle back to something you said. So the basis of your initial attack is is built on the fact that the flag that classifies whether you're dealing with a single frame or multiple flames um, is uh, unauthenticated, right? And so based on that, you can exploit that in order to conduct an attack such that you're able to inject frames or manipulate frames. But so the the number of frames is, is not authenticated, but the frames themselves, I assume, are, right? And so doesn't that stand in the way of your attack having an impact? Yeah, so that's indeed a, a very good question. So as an adversary, we cannot just arbitrarily... Um, so as an adversary, we cannot arbitrarily change the encrypted contents. So in order to exploit the attack, we do rely on a second condition. Namely, as an adversary, we first have to trick the victim into connecting to our server. And that can, for example, be done by sending an email to the victim with an image that is hosted on our own server. In that case, yeah, the victim will set up a connection to our server. It will try to load the image. And then instead of sending a TCP packet that contains that image, the adversary will send a very specially crafted TCP packet where if the attacker at the Wi-Fi level will then switch that flag, that special TCP packet will be interpreted in such a way so that we can inject packets. So there is indeed a bit of a precondition here that needs to be fulfilled because as an adversary, we can indeed not arbitrarily control the encrypted data of a Wi-Fi frame. So we have to, in a sense, force the situation where we trick the victim to connect to our server so we do have some control over the content that is inside this frame. And then combined with the Wi-Fi flaw, we can make it so that the receiver will process uh, part of the content of the TCP packet as a new completely independent uh, network packet. And does that make the attack more expensive or are you able to pull this off with minimal computational effort, minimal hardware effort? So regarding the required computation effort uh, on the hardware effort, that's actually really low. You just need a cheap Wi-Fi dongle and then you can perform that attack. So I don't think there's any major limitation there. The main limitation is you have to somehow social engineer the victim into connecting to your server. That's the main obstacle to perform the attack. So is that is that really that difficult, though? Because um, you can just uh, implement like an SSID that looks... I'm assuming that by connecting to your server, you mean that I have to connect to the same SSID, right? And then I can just like call my Wi-Fi free Starbucks Wi-Fi, and then that part is taken care of, right? Or is there an additional step? Uh, to, to clarify that, so when I mean that the victim has to connect to the server, the victim really has to connect to the web server. So it can be your website uh, or something else. And the victim will remain connected to the actual Wi-Fi network that you want to attack. So yeah, simply setting up a rogue Wi-Fi network, that is not sufficient. You really have to trick the adversary to connect to your server so you need to know some information about the victim. Uh, you need to know a website that the victim will visit that maybe has a flaw that you can exploit to uh, cause the victim to set up a TCP connection with your web server. 
So as an adversary, we cannot simply set up a rogue Wi-Fi network because yeah, if, if the victim would connect to your rogue Wi-Fi network, then you wouldn't have to do any additional steps. Then it's in a sense already game over. I see. That's actually really interesting. So this web server connection, could that be something that could be embedded just for example, in an iframe to make it loaded into another page, or maybe, you know, some secure messengers have this automatic preview feature where if you send someone a link, it'll load a preview of that link. Is that sufficient to initiate the connection or do you need something more involved? No, I think that would already be sufficient. You just need anything that will set up a TCP connection with you. That's very interesting. I see that you have a table of devices here as well. And uh, you're also saying that basically all major devices are, are vulnerable to this. So let's let's go back a little bit and discuss like your, your research history and your research methodology when it comes to these um, flaws. You have a exceptional history of just breaking Wi-Fi. You've, you've broken Wi-Fi a lot. Um, way back in the WPA2 days, I remember that there was the crack attack, which I believe was your first published work right at the end of your PhD, um, breaking Wi-Fi. And then you were involved in the design, uh, I believe, of WPA3. And now, again, you're breaking Wi-Fi. And I remember at the time, um, you complained uh, or, you know, br brought attention to the fact that it was difficult for you to get access to the WPA2, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, like some, some design documents related to WPA2 or to Wi-Fi. And those design documents, basically, you had to be um, part of some kind of group or you had to pay a fee to get these specs. So is that, you know, like, uh, I guess what I'm asking is, like, could you tell me more about what made it such that you were so um, able to to go deep into this? Uh, what were the hurdles that were preventing research from happening? And how is it that your interest and your success in, in, in exploiting Wi-Fi uh, grew so notoriously over the years? Yeah, so that's a very good set of questions. I think the first important aspect to realize is that Getting access to the Wi-Fi standard, and with that I mean the 802.11 standard of IEEE, it's possible, but it's not that easy. So the IEEE does make standards available six months after they were published to researchers, but finding where they are available is still tricky. And then once you have the standard, understanding the standard is, of course, also not that, that easy. But then again, that's the case with any standard. It's even the case with things like 4G and 5G. Those standards also aren't that easy to understand. But still, I think with Wi-Fi, it's a bit harder to know where the standards can be found. Then apart from the IEEE, which defines the technical standard, you also have the Wi-Fi Alliance. And the Wi-Fi Alliance, they mainly provide certifications to make sure that yeah, devices can work along with each other. But sometimes they also add their own specifications on top. For instance, it's the Wi-Fi Alliance that initially defined what WPA2 and WPA3 really would be. And here we see that the Wi-Fi Alliance really is a closed organization because researchers basically had no input in what WPA3, for example, would look like. They just released it at some point. And they were like, okay, here, this is WPA3. And in a sense, you all have to accept it now. And that's not ideal. Ideally, 
they have some kind of discussion phase where researchers can give input to new standards. And the past few years, there has actually been some improvement. So, for example, last year, the Wi-Fi Alliance made some standards public, well, some draft standards public that researchers could critique. So they are improving. However, I don't think many researchers were aware of this. So you you broke Wi-Fi, you, sorry, you broke WPA2 uh, quite significantly. And they went and created WPA3 in the dark without Im- involving a bunch of researchers and then just gave it to the world, following exactly the procedure that they followed before you broke WPA2. And that's it, no- nothing changed. Yeah, indeed, for WPA3, that that was roughly speaking the case, indeed. They they didn't really ask for feedback. So that's that's not how TLS is designed. Certainly, that's not how, well, that's not how secure messaging protocols are designed these days. Um, why is it so different for something like Wi-Fi? I mean, Wi-Fi is pretty important. How is it that we have to basically deal with this closed body? And why didn't they change their behavior after you demonstrated that their methodology is leading to researchers not having sufficient access and, and, and finding flaws in, in published protocols? So I think for the case with WPA3, they they mentioned to me afterwards that they were already working on WPA3 even before the crack attack was made public. Um, but of course, I have no way to verify whether that's really true. And yeah, it, it's a good question. I honestly don't know why they are so closed. Is, is it the case with Bluetooth also? Like how does Bluetooth work? Yeah, I'm, I'm less familiar with Bluetooth, so I don't know how open their discussions are, actually. Hmm. That's 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 too bad. That's interesting. Maybe, I mean, maybe now, given that you're finding so many flaws, um, it'll be the case that uh, the process will change. But I recall when, when your initial paper was published, I hope I'm not misremembering, but I think Matthew Green uh, posted your, so this is when Crack was published, saying something like, this is great research, but this is research that could have been done years ago if the Wi-Fi standards were more openly available, if certain documentation wasn't so insanely difficult to to, to obtain. And I, I really think that a lot of the world, a lot of the community has 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 understood that of course he's right and that and that you're 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 proving him right. Um, and that's why, like I said, other important protocols such as, for example, TLS, you know, HTTPS and so on are, are designed with a very open mindset. I think I'm not, I'm not so sure, but I think Bluetooth is, is open as well or, or more open than, than, than what you're describing. Uh, some, some protocols tend to be closed. So for example, like whatever Apple does, like iMessage is pretty closed. Um, the way that the new Apple air tags work is very closed, but that's, that's fine. Right. Because it's, it's a, you know, competitive standard, competitive secret, you know, there it's, it's a, it's a proprietary competitive product. So that's understandable, but Wi-Fi is not a closed standard. It's not a closed product. It's, it's quite the contrary, you know, like it's a standard made for everyone to adopt. Sure. There's a consortium, but I mean, there's a consortium and there's a working group for everything. And, and a lot of consortiums end up working quite openly and having open standards for review. And even industrial consortiums can can solicit feedback from, um, you know, like researchers, even if they do end up only using their own internal expertise. 
So, so we know that there's a, we know that there's a sort of like institutional problem with the way that these protocols are designed that is not leading to vulnerabilities being discovered until it's way too late. Okay. But also this is something that I think you touch upon early in your new paper. Um, Say, so I'm quoting from your paper. I'm quoting from page two. Now we believe that the discovered design flaws were unnoticed for so long for two main reasons. First, some of the functionality that we abuse is generally not considered as part of the core cryptographic functionality of Wi-Fi, Right. And therefore has not received rigorous or formal analysis. Uh, so that's really interesting to me uh, because I actually did my PhD in formal analysis, and it's true. You know, like we look at protocols as these uh, purely math, you know, set of interacting mathematical functions, and we don't really take things like fragmentation into account. And even when you have, um, talking too much now, uh, even when you have um, um, uh, standards and like uh, tools and frameworks that. Uh, that take into account more and more stuff. They just take into account more cryptographic stuff and they don't take into account the surrounding engineering. So that's one thing we should talk about, you know, how, you know, you say, okay, like, um, this stuff is not considered as part of the core cryptographic functionality of Wi-Fi. You are correct. But what, what, what should we consider as part of the core cryptographic functionality? So are you suggesting that we should expand what we think is part of the core cryptographic functionality of a protocol or are you saying that, no, we should keep cryptography separate from engineering considerations, but that analysis methodology itself has to expand to include more um, in its formalisms so that we can catch attacks like this? So I think that's a very good remark. And I think that even if the Wi-Fi standard would have been more open, then it still would have been quite difficult to catch these attacks. And it's because, like I mentioned in, in the paper, these things weren't considered security essential, and if we also look at, and if we also look at past, uh, actually very recent work that models WPA2, they indeed didn't include fragmentation and aggregation. So I doubt formal mechanisms would have caught this. And the main issue seems to be that, yeah, the, the protocol is too complex. You cannot model everything, and that inevitably causes you to miss things. And here I would say, so I'm not too familiar with formal tools, but I would say that as these tools get better, we will be able to model more components of a cryptographic protocol and we can expand what we can model and then we can catch more things as we go on. Well, here's the thing. I think your paper might be uh, making a case and I'm not, I'm sure that's not, you know, I don't think this is necessarily your intent because you weren't thinking about formal tools, but, but given my experience with formal methods and the tools and the way that they're growing. So um, one tool that has been growing a lot recently, well, actually, let, let me give an overview. So we have two tools that I, I think have been experiencing a lot of progress recently. First, you have Tamarin. Tamarin is a protocol modeling uh, and verification and prover uh, that works in the symbolic model. And here's one way that they grew recently. What they did was that they became able to have uh, to capture um, small subgroup attacks in elliptic curves and invalid curve attacks uh, in Tamarin, in the symbolic model. And this is, so they're growing more in the cryptography side, right? Um, and uh, this is great. This is wonderful work, but it doesn't do anything with regards to the core sort of flaw that you would want formalized um, and the flaws that are relevant in your paper. At least I don't think so. 
And let's talk about another example. So you have another tool that's been experiencing a lot of growth recently. There's uh, F-Star. So F-Star is a programming language uh, created by Microsoft Research and Inria and Carnegie Mellon, I think, and a bunch of other people. Uh, All the smartest people in the world work on F-Star, as far as I understand. And it allows you to write programs that you can then prove have certain mathematical properties. So for example, I can write an elliptic curve implementation and prove that any point generated by this like curve 25519 implementation, uh, the point is always on the curve, right? And so maybe there, there could be a thing where you could like sort of make some sort of um, assertion, like logical or mathematical assertion that you can then prove because they, they basically link an OCaml-like programming language to the um, Z3 theorem prover. So maybe you can use Z3, right? And say, uh, I'm proving something regarding the construction of frames. So is, is that something that you think you, could, you would be able to, to do? So again, good question. I think using these tools to model Wi-Fi protocols in more detail would be a very good step. So I would say any any progress to model the protocols in more detail would be very welcome. On the other hand, I'm also uh, a bit skeptic that they would detect all attacks because there will always be this gap between the code that you're actually running and then the standard. And I think this is one of the things that the work, in fact, highlights. You can have your formal models, you can have your standard written down, but there are certain aspects that you just don't think about when you're writing the standards or even when you're modeling things. And one of these things, for for instance, in this research was the fragment cache attack, where you realize that oh yeah, a fragment might still be stored in memory even after I disconnect from a network. These kinds of, I would say, new threat models or new kinds of attacks, I think those would be very hard to catch because yeah, you wouldn't think about them, so you also wouldn't model them. So I think yeah, on, on one hand, modeling protocols in more details would be excellent contributions. On the other hand, I think we should also keep looking at source code and see how programs are actually being written so we can detect where the code really differs from what our formal models are saying and doing. Um, And I think by by us keeping to explore these two options, we can slowly make sure that they grow towards each each other. But that's, of course, going to be a very long process. So these tools can help uh, to an extent. Indeed, the the difference between the code and the actual spec is always a problem. Uh, I I also have another somewhat related question. So with TLS, we have OpenSSL, right? Which is uh, considered a, um, you know, standard implementation of TLS. Or for example, you have the Go implementation of TLS, which is included, I think, in the set of uh, modules that ship with the Go programming language. Uh, and you also have, uh, I don't know, boring TLS or boring SSL uh, and other stuff like that. All of these are open source implementations of TLS, HTTPS, and so on. Um, why don't we have something similar for Wi-Fi 
why isn't there like a standard implementation on GitHub that is maybe sponsored by the Wi-Fi consortium and that can be implemented, you know, used by Asus and and, and TP-Link and all these Wi-Fi manufacturers, um, Intel and so on, uh, and also reviewed by by people like yourself and others, other researchers, maybe myself, um, uh, the same way that OpenSSL is, is reviewed and used by all these products. So there are some uh, open source projects that I would say are very commonly used. Um, yeah, the main one is the Wi-Fi client of Linux. So that's used in a lot of routers. It's, of course, used in Android. And sometimes I think vendors borrow some code of that for their own implementation. So here I would say that the open source implementation of Linux is one of the leading examples. I think the reason why less people look at it is, again, that yeah, the research community spends a lot of time on TLS because it provides end-to-end security. So from that viewpoint, it might make more sense to focus on that because it has a depending on your viewpoint, a higher impact. And the other thing is that, okay, you said that OpenSSL is one of the leading implementations. On the other hand, I might have to call that in question again. If I see what some vendors are doing, like you have these TLS middle boxes that have their own implementations. I see researchers constantly breaking other TLS implementations as well. So even there, we have this implementation that we as researchers often look at, OpenSSL and a few others. But even in TLS, I would say we still have a lot of different implementations that we cannot audit and that can be full of bugs. And yeah, you have, you have the same with Wi-Fi. You have this open source implementation on Linux. A lot of people contribute to it, at least people from the Wi-Fi community. And yeah, then you have a lot of proprietary proprietary implementations on there. Yeah, all bets are off. Researchers are focusing on TLS more, but that's not because it provides end-to-end confidentiality and authentication. Like, in a sense, Wi-Fi standards also provide end-to-end confidentiality and authentication between you know, my, my laptop and my router. So it's kind of like the same thing. I think maybe what you're trying to say is endpoint. Yes, that, that might make more sense. Like... You know you're talking to a certain website at least, while with Wi-Fi, okay, you know you're talking to your access points. Most people use the internet to connect to the internet, to visit some website. Uh, and f- from that perspective, if Wi-Fi would be insecure while TLS is secure, then you're still good to go. On the other hand, Wi-Fi might receive sometimes uh, yeah, not enough attention because it's still a very important aspect of our of our homes in a sense because it prevents adversaries from accessing your local devices uh, in your network. And considering how many yeah, IoT devices some people might have or other devices in our home network that aren't updated, here Wi-Fi provides one of the only security layers because once someone gets in your network, they basically have free access to all your devices. So from that perspective, Wi-Fi is actually very important because without it, your local network would be open to all kinds of attacks. So from that, ha- 
from that perspective, Wi-Fi security is actually quite important as well. Indeed. Um, okay, so we're we're kind of running out of time. So I guess this is the last question. Um, what, what do you think is the best long-term mitigation? I think we're really at the stage where we should be talking about long-term mitigation because I, I really think that once this set of vulnerabilities, these fragmentation attacks are fixed, uh, it's only a matter of time before some other attack pops up given the current trend. And I'm just wondering as a whole, what do you think, how do you think Wi-Fi in general can change such that the rate of crazy critical attacks popping up uh, is reduced dramatically? So I think currently the big problem with the Wi-Fi standard is that it's it's simply too complex. And as we all know, the more complex the protocol gets, the easier it is to make mistakes and to make vulnerabilities, both design flaws and also implementation flaws. So the first step would be to somehow simplify this protocol or at least to split it up in very clear separate components where you can then have a security component and then just audit only that component. And then once that component has been audited and analyzed, that you know things are secure. So I think that's one of the only ways forward that I see to reduce the complexity in Wi-Fi and to make things simpler to uh, analyze. Okay. Well, I really hope that the uh, Wi-Fi folks We'll, we'll listen to you and, and, and we'll implement uh, these uh, simplifications. And, and also, certainly, I'm always a proponent for things being more open and more transparent. And I think that always helps, especially when it comes to security. And you can get more input and uh, just, uh, you know, find vulnerabilities before protocols are released. Um, so, Matthew, um, thank you so much for walking us through your fascinating new progress. Congratulations on your recent, um, uh, I saw that you're going to be starting a pr- position as a professor at KU Leuven. So that sounds wonderful. Congratulations. And I wanted to ask, is there anything else you'd like to mention before we sign off? So thank you for the kind words and, uh, thank you for inviting me, um, I would say the only thing to mention is, uh, yeah, do check out the research, uh, read the paper on, yeah, have fun exploring uh, Wi-Fi security. I encourage people to to look at Wi-Fi security more. That will be my last remark. Excellent. I will uh, link to both of your papers and, and more data if I can find it on your website uh, in the podcast description. And uh, I hope people will look at that. Uh, And I also hope that you'll join us next time, you, the listener on Cryptography FM, whether it's a cool paper or interesting software or research or project that you're working on, come and tell us about it. But whether you're a listener or an active participant, I hope to see you again anyway next time on Cryptography FM. (laughs) 